Good morning, everybody. And I would say happy Easter, but in light of Christmas, how about convivial Easter? Right? Is that not? Because we're here to celebrate um, the resurrection of Jesus. We're here to gather together, and, and I get that it's a little more complicated that we're even all on the same page. I love to, to do the best that I can to speak honestly and truthfully, and just whenever I get a chance to, what I usually consider, to speak to more than five people, chances are we're coming at this question about Jesus in different ways and um, with different reasons, uh, with different beliefs, with different backgrounds. And so when I say faith, let's not pretend that all of us are of the same faith. And even if we are of the same faith, meaning we believe the same things about Jesus Christ, the truth is how we even get there is very different. So we're in the middle of this three-part series where we're dealing with the disciples and the complexity or the difficulty of what the disciples and the crowds were ultimately going through. That we realized that a couple of weeks ago that when the crowds were shouting and singing, praise God and his Messiah, we are saved, they did not fully understand the implications of what they just said. And last week we spent some time discussing the fact that, that when Jesus was betrayed and after they had made together this mock trial and after they had beat him and abandoned him, that they didn't fully understand, none of them fully understood. The Bible even says this without just giving some kind of blanket excuse. The Bible says there's no way that they understood what they were doing. And, and today we get the third part of this, which is on the resurrection morning. This is the part that I find even most fascinating is that they don't understand what they're seeing. Most of us actually believe at some level that seeing is believing, right? I think all of us wrestle with this question. All of us go around this particular issue over and over and over again. We actually believe, no matter where you are on the spectrum of faith, from this great doubter or skeptic or to this man or woman of deep and profound faith in God, I think all of us share this common belief that if we just saw, if we just experienced these miraculous events firsthand, that our faith would be stronger. Contrary to the evidence, contrary to the fact that when we go back and look at the biblical accounts, it wasn't the fact that Abraham didn't hear the voice of God. The truth is that years later, he began to wonder and had to try to figure out what that voice meant. I will bless all the world through you. It wasn't that Pharaoh never saw the mighty hand of God, but truly maybe there's another way to explain why these bad things are happening to me. And you know what? I'm not gonna let God's people go. Even the children of Israel, who saw the 10 plagues poured out on their enemies, they walk out of that encounter and they take a vote and they say, we should build a golden calf to worship God. How do you do that? If, if seeing or experiencing equals believing, then, then what was wrong with them? The prophets of Baal saw fire come down from heaven, and I don't think it drove them on their knees in worship. So the more that I look at these encounters, maybe I can begin to understand that since seeing doesn't always equal believing and that there is still room for the skeptic or the doubter even after witnessing some of the most amazing acts and hands of God, 
that when I look at the disciples, when I look at the religious leaders, when I look at the crowds who are speaking and acting and doing, in light of the fact of what they saw with Jesus, maybe God's plan is so big, maybe it is just so wide, it is so far-reaching that we're all kind of just fumbling through this. I don't mean like pointlessly, but, but maybe the amount of faith that we have and even a lot of the questions that we wrestle with are just what it means to be human. Now, just in case someone's thinking, so it really doesn't matter if I put my faith in Jesus or not, we're just all on this faith journey, that's not what I'm saying. That there is a clear difference between openly and passionately accepting by faith God's gift of Jesus, as Steve described, in your place for your sins, and just kind of going through life and taking like almost like it's a buffet, a spiritual buffet, different um, ideas about who God is and what God is doing. Um, the latter really doesn't save you. Only genuinely, by faith, putting your trust in what Jesus Christ did for you and what he did for me is the only way in which any of us will ever find peace with God. But the real truth is that all of us come to this particular engagement today. Celebrating, hmm, that's what we say, celebrating Easter from different perspectives with different questions and different issues about faith. I had a chance to be doing a lot of driving recently and as I was driving, I happened to listen to the radio. And just so you know, not all of the radio that I listen to is like Christian radio, not all of it, okay? And I was listening to some sketchy radio stations, um, and I know what you're thinking, oh, you listen to country music? No, I don't, not that. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not that sketchy, okay? But I did notice this. <laughs> I did notice this. That the phrase, like, have a great Easter weekend, happy Easter, hope you guys enjoy Easter wasn't just in a Christian context. It was like, have a rockin' Easter. It was like it was just like Merry Christmas. It didn't really have any like religious significance to it at all. It was just like, hey, this is just what it is. Like, don't, don't read too much into it. And, and let's be honest that most likely there are even some of us that wandered into here today that, hey, just don't take too much out of this. Just don't get wrapped up too much in this. Sure, we're here to celebrate. We're here to wear pastels. That's what we're here to do today. <laughs> we're here to gather together because mom wants us to be together. It's a family type thing. Hey, listen, I get it. I have a wife. I know what this is like. She, Andrea last night said, and she was in first service, so I can really tell you what she said now. <laughs> first service, I was mildly afraid. Second service, I was more bold, but she's home by now, so... Andrea says, hey, listen, guys, I want to sit as a family at church tomorrow. So I want to make sure that we're all sitting together. Listen, I think that's great, because even though she said, I want to sit as a family, <laughs> and it's amazing how difficult that in and of itself is. We're, really, we're not just here to dress a certain way or to have a certain family cultural experience, what you and I are going to do over the next few moments is as we look at the text, try to understand what it means by this simple statement, Jesus Christ was God, Jesus Christ died on the cross, and God raised Jesus from the dead. And the implications of that are profound. 
I don't know if you noticed on the slides, a few years ago we decided to be a little more clear, like explaining what we're doing. Communion, celebrating, which is an amazing word in and of itself since we're celebrating the death of our Lord and Savior. Not a lot of people do things like that. Celebrating, celebrating the implications of the atoning work of Jesus Christ. That's what we're to do at the the Lord's Supper, at the table where we eat and we drink. We're celebrating the implications of this, and that's what Easter really is all about. And what we're gonna do this morning is by looking at the Bible, we're going to see that the disciples really were not prepared for what they were about to see, in spite of the fact that the Bible teaches that they should have been. At some level, they should have been more aware of what was going on. The Bible wants you to know this that Jesus Christ is not at the mercy of anyone. That Jesus Christ didn't accidentally stumble onto a cross and die. That Jesus Christ in no way had these things happen to him apart from God's sovereign plan, apart from what God is ultimately doing. And that is why all throughout Jesus' ministry, the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all record that what Jesus is doing, what is happening in Jesus' life, is planned. God's sovereign plan. Mark chapter eight would be a good chapter for you to just put in your mind. Where can I go? Jim made some comment. Mark chapter eight gives one of these examples where Jesus was very clear about what the disciples should expect. And in that account, Mark chapter eight, beginning in verse 31, Mark records this. And he began, the he is Jesus, and Jesus began to teach them, the them is the disciples, So Jesus began to teach the disciples that the Son of Man, and I need to explain, that Son of Man is not man, humanity, Jesus kind of getting that he's one of us. No, Son of Man is a title describing Jesus' power and authority, particular at the final judgment. And he refers to himself, particularly in Mark's gospel, as the Son of Man. So Jesus is explaining to the disciples that he himself, the Son of Man, must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days, rise again. Now, I don't know about you, I I read that and I think that is probably one of the clearest and most condensed explanations of what Jesus was all about. Look at that. Uh, I, I can't wait to get to heaven and to ask the rest of the disciples, how did you miss that? Like, honestly, how did you miss that? Look at this. He was teaching them, son of man came, suffer. What do you mean by suffer? You know, painful. Oh, okay. Now, what do you mean by rejected by the elders? What, what do you mean by chief priests? You know, the priest who was the chief. Oh, okay. But what do you mean die, like dead? And what do you mean, I mean, I don't understand how you could make it more clear, and yet they did not understand. And the Bible wants you to be clear that this is ultimately God's design and God's plan. That's why Easter is not just a celebration about a bad thing that happened to Jesus. I've heard preachers talk like this. I've probably talked like this. That God at Easter reminds us that he can take bad things and turn them into good things. Listen, that's true. But that's not what Easter is about. Easter is about God's sovereign plan to look at a creation that rebelled against him and God going to the very depth of what he could give up, which is his only son, who will die in our place for our sins so that you and I might find redemption and restoration and be a part of his everlasting kingdom. That's what 
Easter is all about. So happy rockin' Easter, right? Look, look at the depths of this. And it doesn't matter how clear it is. For whatever reason, the disciples, and I don't even think it was just their sin. For whatever reason, the disciples, by their limited humanity, maybe the fact is that they were just like us, that they needed to see it in order to believe it. And I don't think it was just Thomas. One of the disciples repeatedly said, unless I see with my eyes, unless I touch with my hands, I just can't believe it. He sounds like a man who walked up to Jesus at one time and said to Jesus, I want you to heal my son. And Jesus says, if you believe, this is possible. And the man said this, I do believe. Will you help my unbelief? And it's at moments like that I think he's talking about me. And so these disciples are hearing the truth about Jesus, hearing about the complicated and deep plan of God, and they're still trying to figure it out. Is that you? Like today? Like, like right now? I mean, going through, and I don't mean the motions negatively. I just mean that you're literally like you're caught up in this, and at times you can just be not thinking about these deep things. And then every moment, every, every once in a while, you have these moments in which all of a sudden, I probably should consider whether or not this resurrection thing ultimately matters, because this is what Christianity is all about. As, as probably most of you know, um, I have a young man that lives with us who is a Muslim, and he happened to ask me yesterday, so when do we do the egg thing? Like when do you guys, you know, as Christians, when do you do the egg thing and you hide the eggs? And I, I said to him, I said, well, Taysir, um, truth is that that's not really like a part of the Christian tradition from the Bible. Like I, I know we try to spiritualize it a little bit. I even know a lot about its roots, but, but really that's not what we do. We, we used to do it, but right now, if I were to try to get like my early 20s and late teen children and hide eggs with them, that's just creepy. Like, they wouldn't go, that's awesome. They'd go, Dad, why don't you just give me the eggs? So, like, hiding eggs on children just sounds mean, right? And so we're done that. We're over that. And that, by the way, that's really not like what Easter is all about. And so let's be very careful that what we are dealing with here, what we are wrestling with here, is not a lot of the cultural implications of what it means to be part of this happy Easter, but the biblical roots which Jesus explained, and no matter what Jesus said, and no matter what Jesus did, what we actually recognize in the gospel accounts is that on Easter Sunday, when they wake up, they are not prepared for what they're about to see. The first witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ are caught completely off guard. All the gospels record this. We're gonna look at Luke 24. Luke 24, verses one through seven, describes what happens. I mean, because if you think about it, when people die, you go through the death ritual. We all do, right? I mean, we know what's going to happen, and it's pretty much set in stone. This is what happens when people die. And so they're just going through, like it's Jesus is like everybody else. Maybe he was a better teacher, maybe he was able to do something miraculous, but they're literally waking up Sunday morning believing that Jesus is where we left him, even though he was never where they thought he would be when he was alive. Throughout the Gospels, they thought Jesus should be here and he wasn't there. 
And then they thought that he should go here, and he said, no, we're going to go somewhere else. So Jesus was constantly surprising them by helping them understand that, that who he is and what, we is about, what, what, he, what he is about was deeper and wider than anything they could ever imagine. And the same problem occurred on Easter Sunday, the first Easter Sunday. Verse 1, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking spices that they had prepared because that's what you do when someone has died and we need to go and help prepare the body because the body is going to decay because that's what dead bodies do and so we need to be a part of our ritual and we're going to wrap it with spices and prepare it. Verse two, and when they get there, they find the stone rolled away. I remember the first time, well, I've only been there once. I remember the time when I happened to be right at the place where they believed Jesus' tomb was. And you're just sitting there looking at it going, this is crazy. This is amazing. The first time they show up, they have no idea what they're about to see. They, they go and they see the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed, why? Well, because we put the body there and bodies usually stay where we put them right? I've done a lot of funerals and um, never at any time while I'm doing a funeral and I'm standing here does anything really happen down here, right? And if it did, I would no longer probably be standing here. <laughs> think about it, right? I mean, of all the things that I think might happen in the middle of a funeral, something happening down here is the last thing that I think would ever happen, just like the disciples, they show up, and he is not there, and the only response, it's normal, it's human. I don't think it's sinful. They're just perplexed about this. And behold, two men, which are really angels, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened, which makes total sense, and they bowed their faces to the ground, the men, the angels, said to them, and this is a great question, why do you seek the living among the dead? It's almost like the angels are saying, and I would say to the angels, hey, listen, you just get a different perspective than I get, so relax, right? But the angels are confused by this, and the angels ask them, why do you seek the living among the dead? It's almost like you should know to look for Jesus, who, by the way, said in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus describes himself in some rather grandiose and powerful terms. And so these angels are looking at these perplexed and frightened, confused disciples and saying, you didn't get this? Which they didn't. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And then they say something that is more important than seeing and more important than experiencing. For as much as you and I believe that somehow our faith would be strengthened if we could just see, if we could just experience, if we could just, you know, know because we were there, there is something greater. God's gift to us as remembrance or memory. And it's interesting that what they seem to be looking at here is not that Jesus was just some powerful person but that Jesus was here for a reason and a purpose. That Jesus wasn't here to demonstrate what he could do. He wasn't a magician who was interested in demonstrating, hey, watch this, and try to figure out how I do this. Feeds 5,000 people. Figure that one out. 
Like Jesus is not some spiritual David Copperfield or Chris Angel or whoever you want to follow. That's not what he's doing. He's not here to just demonstrate his power. He's here to demonstrate his purpose. His power demonstrates his identity and his purpose. And so he's not, this isn't a freak show. This isn't some kind of miracle show that Jesus is doing. It all comes back to why I'm here and what I am all about. And by the way, if you don't get that, then the miracles don't matter. If you don't understand the reason why the fact that Jesus did is not your biggest issue. Why did Jesus? Why did God raise Jesus from the dead? And so the angel, instead of showing a miracle, instead of going, well, watch this. I'm gonna, through the power of a vision, I'm gonna show you what happened. No, no, no. He says to the disciples, this angel, remember, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day, rise again. And the disciples, oh, okay. Now, now by the way, Peter and John are still trying to figure out what's going on. Thomas is still making very bold statements about when he will ultimately and finally believe. But what the angels give is, is not just generic proof, but is this powerful, biblical idea of remember. Because that's what matters most. That, that, is, that is what faith is tied to. Faith is you and I remembering like other people of faith have remembered the things of God. The children of Israel, recently um, when, the, when the, uh, the Passover is celebrated, one of the famous statements that is said by children during this Passover celebration is the children ask the dad, Dad, why is tonight different than other nights? As they're kind of reenacting, as they're remembering the great Passover, why is tonight different than any other night? And then the dad begins to explain to the children the reason why it is different is because we are remembering what God did in Egypt. We are remembering that God provided um, a lamb to sacrifice so that he might pass over, that, that God liberated, that God and let us remember what God has ultimately done for us. And this is the picture, this is the, the means by which Jesus Christ is given, not just to us thousands of years later, but first of all to the disciples. It's not, well, listen, you're not going to believe anything I say, and so why don't you? No, no, no. It's, don't you remember? This is what he said. This is exactly what he said. And whether you get it or not, whether you believe it or not, whether you have faith or not, whether you're a skeptic or not, God is true to his word. And that is what we need to remember on Easter, is not just that God can but that God did for a very specific reason, that God raised Jesus Christ to punctuate, um, to underline, to accentuate the fact that all that stuff that Jesus Christ said about who he was and about his purpose in this world, which wasn't just being kind, it wasn't just beginning to fix a lot of the problems, but genuinely to heal the amazing rift that existed between all of humankind and God. That everyone was estranged from God, was acting in rebellion against God, and Jesus came to bridge that back together again. That is the purpose. That is the plan of God. That is what the resurrection of Jesus Christ is all about. 
And so what we see in the disciples and what we get to celebrate today is as we look back, and this is why I love other people's experiences that you and I get to go back and look at and really say, okay, let's see how this is gonna work out in our own lives, is that we can look at the disciples' life and say, huh, they failed to fully understand for reasons both personal and just kind of what it means to be human. They failed to grasp just how far-reaching how deep and wide God's ultimate plan was. God's plan, even for the disciples, was more far-reaching than anyone, than any of them could ever imagine. And that is good for us to remember today. Is that when, just when we think that we know exactly what God's plan is, it's, it's more. So that even when we go back and we look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's good to know that we're not just here to celebrate, hey, Jesus didn't just stay dead. He also was raised from the dead. But then we go back and we look at the early disciples and we see that God has more planned for them. Turn to Acts chapter two. The kingdom of God is going to be established on the preaching or the sharing or the witnessing of the fact that Jesus Christ did in fact die, was in fact raised from the dead, and did ascend into heaven. That is what the church is founded upon. So it's not some kind of um, hope in a better tomorrow. It's not some kind of generic belief that things are going to get more, uh, more beneficial for our enjoyment. But what we are holding on to, what we are basing our faith on, is the fact that God did, and did truly raise Jesus from the dead. God accepted Jesus' sacrifice for us, for our sin, that the body and the bread, the, or the body and the bread, the blood and the cup that Jesus Christ gave, that you and I just celebrated just now, that it actually did something in the heart and in the mind of God. And that the implications of what that are gonna mean just keep going and going and going. One of the hardest things that I think anybody would have to do is to preach the gospel in Jerusalem just days after the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I know the miraculous side of, side of things might make it seem a little bit like it's a great time to do it, but I think it would be rather difficult to stand up in front of people and say, hey, by the way, you're the ones that killed the Messiah. Remember that crucifixion a few days ago? Yeah, he was the one that was the Messiah. And yet that was Peter's response, or Peter's, Peter's call, Peter's uh, obligation, Peter's job. And in Acts chapter 2, he preaches to people through the power of the Holy Spirit that God, in fact, raised Jesus from the dead to prove that he was both Savior and Lord of the world. And in Acts 2.38, Peter says to them when they realize this conviction, and what do we do now that we understand that God is the one responsible for all of this and that we are the ones responsible for killing Jesus? They say, what should we do? And Peter replies to them, you need to repent, which means to change your mind. You need to change your mind about who Jesus is. In, in Peter's day, they just believed that Jesus was a great teacher, that Jesus was somebody who maybe, maybe at best, did some miracles here and there. And they needed to change their mind about that. They needed to rethink who Jesus was in light of the fact that God raised him from the dead. Peter, um, or Jesus, sorry, Jesus was somebody who was able to walk to the place where Lazarus died and raise Lazarus from the dead. 
Jesus was able to go to a young girl, Jairus' daughter, and raise her from the dead. But when Jesus is dead, who's going to raise him? What's he going to do now that he is dead? And this is where the Bible doesn't teach that Jesus raised himself. The Bible, Acts 2, teaches that Jesus was raised from the dead by his father who stepped in and actually, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, verifies verifies that Jesus' identity and purposes are true. And Peter says, we need to change, or you need to change your mind. You need to repent about he is. You need to be baptized. You need to be initiated. You need to join in to God's great plan of redemption and restoration. You need to have your sins washed away. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins... And then he says something pretty profound, and you will receive the gift. See, what happens is when we only think about the resurrection as, wow, I don't have to feel sad for Jesus anymore because he came back to life. He came back to life because God was going to verify who he was. And Jesus Christ ascends into heaven, and it's still not done. The same struggle that the disciples had originally, it just kept on going. I think if the disciples ever learned anything, it was when they realized we've got to stop believing that God's plan ends here. One of the greatest tragedies that has happened in the church is the fact that many of us come to learn facts about God. That that, that church is, is a place where we learn like spiritual equations, X plus Y squared minus 2C equals. And then you, you kind of find the different pieces and you fit them in. And, and that's what church is like. Church is like a spiritual equation to be solved. Listen, if there's one thing the Bible is very, very clear is you and I can't solve anything. Like we need, we need a solution to our problems that only God can provide. And Jesus is telling these people, listen, This is about something that is bigger than we understand. And not only can you find forgiveness and peace through repentance, but more than that, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That you will receive, and Paul talks about the Holy Spirit, as that power which raised Jesus Christ from the dead, now living in you. And so the disciples now are experiencing and telling others, like this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. The same power that raised him from the dead is the power that you and I now have living in us. And to show you how far-reaching this is, many people I know can can kind of quote Acts 2.38 and then they miss 2.39. Look at how far-reaching this implication is. For the promise of Jesus and who he is, and everything that he planned. This promise is for you, and it's for your children, and it's for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Like the resurrection isn't just something that you and I celebrate with a meal, that, that you and I celebrate as a family or even as a bigger family. It's not just a song that we sing or even a really profound spoken word that Drew Moss can present. It's not just the reading of a text. It's not just being kind and gracious. It is the power of the Holy Spirit coming into us and then us sharing the good news of what that means for the rest of our lives. 
When we understand that the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ is all part of God's plan and it is designed to be as far-reaching as when he comes back again. That this is what it actually means to be Christian. And sadly enough, many of us have traded in this amazing, far-reaching, life-transforming uh, this constant uh, growing and expanding understanding of what God desires for going to church, trying to be a nice person. Sadly enough, even a lot of preachers will describe or sociologists will describe that one of the reasons why the church grew in the earliest years was just how kind and generous they were. And that the church practiced these certain communal um, practices and others began to, like, like somehow you can explain why after Peter has done this sermon that 3,000 people are baptized and added to the number of the church in Jerusalem. Listen, just at the end of this sermon, they didn't go, wow, that preacher's really, really nice. I want to be a part of this. No. The compassion and the community that the church described did not find its power in human origins. It's found all of its power in the Holy Spirit that was given to them because Jesus Christ was in fact raised from the dead. Do not take the book of Acts and try to understand, do not take the Bible and try to understand the power of God in psychological and sociological terms. That's never what it is intended to be or to do. And the far-reaching implications of the gospel, that's what drives us to go and then to keep on going so that we might share the good news about the resurrection wherever we go. Because it is for us, it is for our children, and it is for those who are far off, for as all that God should call. And therefore, you and I stand as witnesses. And it's not just the disciples that are amazed and overwhelmed. It is not just the disciples that struggle with the far-reaching implications. It's not just a was. It still exists for us today. The truth that you and I have to wrestle with this morning, wherever we are on that spectrum of faith in God through Jesus Christ, is that God's plan is still more extensive and redemptive than you and I realize. That when you think you understand, that when you think you know the boundary of what God wants to do in you and through you, you do not understand. If you think this is what it means, if this is what my life is going to look like, or this is what my family is going to look like, you do not understand the far-reaching implications of the resurrection, the ascension, the giving of the Holy Spirit, and the promises of God coming back and God using us until that day to demonstrate his power in a lost and dying world that so desperately needs not a great story, not human compassion, what they need is resurrection power through the Holy Spirit. So I want to close with this text. We've looked at Acts 2, we've looked at Luke 24 and Mark 8. Ephesians 3, the Apostle Paul uh, just wants the church in Ephesus to understand just how um, practical and how powerful the role of the Holy Spirit is in the lives of people. That again, when, when we take Easter and reduce it 
to something that you and I can um, to utilize for cultural purposes, this is, this is one of the problems with the church today is that we buy into a lot of the same reasons and purposes that the world uses, that we literally become, this is, this is what it's about. This is just what it means to be American or what it means to live in Oklahoma. No, what we're talking about is a fundamentally supernatural act of God, the establishment of this community so that you and I can worship him in power and in strength. Jesus Christ did not come and die and was raised again so that you and I could learn to be nicer, but that you and I can move from death to life, just like he did. Paul says this in Ephesians 3, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of of his glory, which by the way, he is going to give for us in Jesus, that he may grant to you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That Christ might dwell in you. So this isn't about some small cultural expression. This is about radical transformation. To be Christian is to have Jesus Christ dwell in you. Jesus Christ dwelling in me. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. That is why Jesus Christ came. That is why Jesus Christ was raised again so that you and I might experience the fullness of Christ and the fullness of God. That's what Easter is all about. That's what God's plan is is ultimately about. That's where God is leading. Not so that you would come to church. So many Christians have sold themselves short for God's plan and what they have traded in is this transforming Holy Spirit strength and power, this transformed life which great, with great identity and purpose, they've traded it in for religion. They've traded it in for this, this cheap, uh, watered-down version of what it actually means to be a follower of Jesus. And that's not what God ever intended. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, think of this, it's in Ephesians 1. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that lives in you. And maybe Easter's a good day to, to ask this question, is that how you feel? Like, does that describe you? Oh yeah, oh yeah, same power. Woke up this morning, it was like I was resurrected from the dead. Now, most Christian people, ah, I couldn't help myself. Well, you know, I'm just kind of struggling through. And, and listen, I'm, I'm not saying that there's zero struggle, but in that struggle, do you feel the power of the Spirit? Or do you experience a nothing more, nothing, nothing more than just giving in and giving up? That's not what God intended for any of his followers. And Easter is that time when we can celebrate, when we can reflect on, when we can remember that there is more to what God has planned for our lives than what we can see and what we've experienced. That's why Paul ends, I love these verses, verses 20 and 21 of Ephesians 3. And now to him who is able to do more 
far more abundantly than all we could ever ask or think according to the power at work within us. This isn't just God doing generic things. It's according to the power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The power of the resurrection is, is more than you and I will ever know. That's why it's not just to be explained or understood. It's to be experienced. That we're here not, not just to, to look back and to reflect on past events, but are those past events shape exactly what we're going to do today and where we're headed for tomorrow. Yesterday, maybe by the hand, sovereign hand of God, I was blessed to be a part of a memorial service. There, there was a young lady who was part of our congregation um, who joined the church just a few years ago. She's, she was 85 years old when she passed away, just a couple of Wednesdays ago. And I, I, remember, I remember her very well because uh, on Wednesdays, I, I teach this group of people every other week. For, uh, we, we, we spend some time studying the Bible for about, uh, for about an hour. And what I loved about Joan is she, she just loved to take notes and so she would just sit there, like dead center and at this table, and she had this like book, and you might say, well, it's because she was a teacher. She would just write down feverishly all the stuff that I was saying. And I gotta be honest. I'm thinking, who are you writing this for? You're 85. Like, how many times are you gonna look at this? I, I look, how many of you took notes in college and you've never looked at them again? Right, you're, you're taking notes. And I'm looking at this woman, at Joan, and she is, she's giving me the irregular amens, and she's writing this stuff down, like the stuff that she is learning. Maybe she did go back, and I have no idea. But it was like it, it, was, like it was real. It was like it was mattered. It, it, it was like it was going on forever. And now I look back and I realize, maybe Joan did that not just for herself, but for me. Like, I love the fact that she is there just, two weeks before she passed away, just giving it her all. Because you know what I think she understood and now really understands? I think she understood, like, being a follower of Jesus Christ in light of the resurrection, that being a follower of Jesus Christ isn't just something for this life. I think, sadly enough, most of us believe, like, being a Christian, you know, is to get us to the other life. No, being a follower of Jesus Christ is life. And she was writing stuff down because she wanted to know Jesus. I wouldn't be surprised if God gave her back that book. She's in heaven right now going, oh, Jim got that wrong. Jim got that wrong. <laughs> Jim got that wrong. Sure, I'm totally cool with that. What she got, what she taught, what she just received is so much more. And I pray that you know that your life is designed by God to be so much more. You need to trade in some kind of weird, creepy cultural expression. You need to trade in that childish, just egg-hunting uh, religious faith for what God desired for you, which is a life of strength and power. The same power that, in fact, raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So let me give a benediction over you as we leave. May the God of great power, of life-giving power, give you strength in your mortal bodies. And may you come to understand and know the truth about who Jesus Christ is. 
And may his identity become your identity. And may his strength and power be your strength and power through his spirit and for his glory, not yours. And may your life be full of what God desires. And as you go about this week, may you realize that that God not only loves you, but he raised Jesus Christ from the grave to give you the spirit so that you could make it through your life, so that you could meet him in the next one. And may all of this be done for God's glory, for the benefit of each other, and for our greatest joy. Amen? Love you guys. God bless. And we will see you Wednesday night at Encounter.